Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, this is a recording from the live show during the Sound Education Podcasting Conference in Boston earlier this month. Because it was a conference, the episode structure is different. Still, I answered questions, but not until after the show. Unfortunately, there wasn't a microphone for the audience, so the sound quality for their questions isn't up to my normal standards. Still, I kept the Q&A portion in because the audience had some really great questions. Enjoy. Okay, hello and welcome. This is Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. You likely have heard of mosquitoes and lice and fleas and ticks. But today we're going to be talking about blood-sucking insects that you've never heard of. Toe fleas and setsy flies and floor maggots, and kissing bugs. And the reason why you've never heard of these is the race of their victims. Let's start off with toe fleas. At first, a toe flea looks like any other, but they're actually the smallest flea in the world. Once they find their victim, they engorge themselves like ticks, growing to an astonishing 3,000 times their original size. They are so small that they can't jump very high, so they typically end up on the feet and ankles. Once on the skin, they claw their way through until only their rear is protruding. There it lives for the rest of its life. The toe flea is very widely spread. It was brought from South America to Africa during the slave trade. As you can imagine, even though that I'm sure you don't want to, being infested with toe fleas is incredibly painful. Often it's so bad that people remove the fleas without medical help. This leads to severe staph infections, often resulting in the loss of toes. Four maggots are another ground dweller. As adults, they look like normal houseflies, but their maggots live a more unconventional life. They live on dirt floors, where people who can't afford beds sleep. They grow to be quite large, 
roughly twice the size of a bedbug. Their range spans Central Africa. They can live for 47 days without a meal, making them incredibly difficult to exterminate. And although they don't transmit any disease, they seriously affect the quality of life of people living with them. Setsi flies are another blood-fleeting fly, but this one, the adults are the villains. Setsi flies look like a plump version of a standard housefly, but they are far from average. They have milk glands. Instead of laying eggs like a normal motherfly, setsi fly moms keep their eggs inside of their body, holding on to them until it hatches. It feeds on the milk glands inside the mother's body, past the first molt and the second and the third, until finally she gives birth to a maggot so large it's roughly half the size of her body. The human equivalent would be a person with breasts on the inside of their body so that they could feed the child inside them until giving birth at 14 years old. Setsi flies live in sub-Saharan Africa, in the plains and forests. Unfortunately, they don't only take blood, they also give. Setsi flies transmit a parasite that causes a disease called sleeping sickness. During colonization, many people in Africa were displaced into the very forests and plains where the flies swarm. By 1968, the epidemic in Uganda was so bad that Winston Churchill announced that it had killed one-third of the Ugandan population. Sleeping sickness comes in two phases. When someone gets the parasite, at first, they start off with problems with the liver, heart, and spleen. After some time, the parasite makes its way into the central nervous system, causing mood shifts, aggression, insomnia at night, and sleepiness during the day. They sleep so much, more and more, until they eventually slip into a coma and die. Kissing bugs also transmit a parasite. These bugs look like other bugs you've probably seen, like stink bugs and leaf-footed bugs. They're called true bugs because they have a long tube-like mouth that folds under their body. They feed on blood at every stage of their life. They live in North and South America. Kissing bugs aren't only terrible because they're the largest blood-feeding insect at over an inch long. They also transmit a parasite called Chagas disease. The parasite lives in the gut of the insect and comes out in its feces When someone is infected with the parasite, it's because the feces is scratched into the bite wound, rubbed into the eyes, or accidentally eaten, say, if the insect had defecated on a piece of fruit. Like sleeping sickness, Chagas comes in two phases. The acute phase seems like the flu, and sometimes there's swelling at the site of infection. But as the parasite settles in, it begins to affect the muscles, especially of the throat and colon, or the heart, and in rare cases, both. Heart complications are the most likely result of Chagas disease, and after years of infection, many patients' hearts just give out, a condition that doctors call spontaneous cardiac death. So if these insects are so terrible, and they affect so many people, why haven't you heard of them? Well, all of these insects mostly affect brown, and black people. As an example, let's talk about the Democratic Republic of Congo. There, 
The pygmy people were forced from their homes that were deep in the forest and into the cities during the Civil War. They must live in the slums and are treated as subhuman, sometimes even enslaved. They endure terrible housing conditions, including floor maggot infestations, something that they never had to endure in their forest homes. So even though their homes are infected with floor maggots, their neighbors are often found with none. So you might be thinking that the reason you've never heard of these insects is because they live very far away. And that surely if one of these insects lived near you, you would have been told about it. Well, let's take a closer look at kissing bugs. While for many complicated reasons, kissing bugs here in the U.S. are very bad at transmitting parasites to humans, they do live here. There are 11 species that have been documented here since the 1800s when Europeans started keeping track of these things. They are about as American as apple pie. Despite this, articles about the kissing bug invasion are being pushed by institutions. Fear of the bugs and Chagas is being used as a means to demonize people from South and Central America, the immigrants coming to the United States searching for a better life. You can often identify these terrible articles because the image that they have for a kissing bug is actually an insect that is actively feeding on a plant something a kissing bug would never do. Kissing bug researchers are occasionally interviewed by diligent researchers, and they are stemming the panic by telling people that in the United States, less than 30 people contract Chagas disease every year. This is true even as the number of infected immigrants increases. We have to remember something about these diseases. It isn't just about diseases that are killing people. It's about their ability to live their lives, feed their families, and take part in their communities. The way to measure statistically this effect on their lives is something called the disability-adjusted life year. Despite the fact that the disability-adjusted life years of Lyme disease and Chagas disease are equivalent in the United States, we hear about Lyme disease all the time, but Chagas only when it's being used to villainize people. Why is this? Well, one reason why might be because 98.7% of people who are infected with Lyme are white, and nearly all of the 300,000 people living in the U.S. with Chagas disease are Latinx. These are just four of the many tiny vampires around the world. If you want to hear more, listen to my podcast, Tiny Vampires. Do you guys have any questions? (laughs) I kept the gore to a minimum. (laughs) I didn't know how much people would appreciate it. (laughs) Any questions about anything? Yeah. Oh, um, so, uh, yeah, uh, so my background is in vector ecology, so, um, any insect that, 
Yeah, I was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so any insect that um, is directly interacting with humans, and especially the ones that transmit disease, are referred to as vectors. Um, and so what my uh, graduate research was on was um, actually studying the ecology of the insects and how we can exploit their ecology to reduce transmission in human beings. Yeah. So, um, so I started the podcast when I was um, in graduate school. And after I graduated, I just continued with it. So um, it's about three years old now. How did you get political analysis? No, right. Um, so I went to the University of Notre Dame. And there they have um, a pretty large emphasis on ethics. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I chose the university. Because the reason why I wanted to study this in the first place is because I, I like truly care that people are getting sick from these horrible things. And I guess I came on into it from that perspective. And like, that's why I wanted to study the science behind it. And then as, as I started studying Chagas disease, I was seeing it in real time this like this demonization of people like the use of a, a really terrible disease as a device for racism and it just makes me livid uh, <laughs> to put it gently and when when I was actually down uh, in southern Texas we were actually um, on a landowner's property that was just on the border of Mexico. And like, we were hearing people say like, oh, these Mexicans are bringing these bugs in as if they're like carrying them in sacks from Mexico. And as if the insects have any concept of human borders, right? It's like the field over there versus the field over here. Like, so it, it kind of became a more personal experience. Like, you know, nowhere on the level of, of people who have to live with us every day, but it's been something I've been thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> questions? Yeah. So Two-part question. Like, yeah. Is there any risk of the, of the Latin American kissing bugs moving north or <laughs> the ones here becoming more competent? I mean, climate change is a complicating factor. Um, but for the most part, the ones that live in northern Mexico are also the ones that are living here. Um, as broadly speaking, I mean, there's 11 different species that live here, um, two of which only live in the United States. Uh, so it's, there are people studying that, like the actual idea of them moving north because of climate change. I don't think there's really any evolutionary push for the insects to become more competent vectors. They're transmitting the parasite pretty well to a lot of animals, um, dogs, especially there's, um, in the U S it's, it's more, uh, here it's more treated as a veterinary issue than it is a human issue. Um, so that, that is another complicating factor. Yeah. What you mentioned that there were, and maybe it's too complicated, complicated reasons for why it is not, uh, as dangerous in America, or, or it's not transmitted as much in America. Yeah, I had to keep it yeah. to <laughs> keep it short. Um, yeah, so so why the kissing bugs in the United States are not super great at transmitting Chagas disease? Um, one of the reasons that has been discovered so far is that they 
have a tendency to defecate far away from their host instead of on their host. Um, it's just a weird quirk of biology. The North America just got lucky, or I should say the United States just got lucky that way. Um, so Originally, the bugs act differently? Or yes. Well, I mean, different species act differently. I see, I see. Right. So, um, so different species have something called vector competence, um, which is basically how good they are at transmitting a disease. So um, just by freak circumstance, uh, the ones that live here in the United States are just not good at it. Um, and like I said, they don't, there's not really any evolutionary push for them to be good at it. It's not like the insects are like, yeah, let's transmit diseases. It's like, it's just something that, you know, has taken over their life cycle. Um, so, but the other reason is like a more cultural thing where our houses are very, um, because we can afford air conditioning, uh, in the South, our houses are very sealed. Um, and, in Central and South America, their houses are very breezy so that they can get better circulation and everything. And that allows the bugs to get inside better. But those are just a few of the things there's because there's there's many different species and each one is going to be affected by its own ecology. And so um, a lot of it is we don't know. But you can imagine like these these insects aren't like mosquitoes. You um, keeping them in the lab is much more difficult. They're larger. They only feed on blood, whereas mosquitoes feed on blood and plants. It's a, there, there's a lot of complicating factors, and basically we don't know. Yeah. Gates Foundation and I think Jimmy Carter's uh, organization put a lot of money and resources into eradicating anywhere. Why would that be a source of special concern? Is that as you say the mm. point? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's not exclusive. <laughs> I mean, some, uh, one of the major differences there is, um, most scientific research funding comes from the government, um, or government agencies, uh, whether that's the WHO or like here in the United States, like the NIH or the NSF. Um, but when you have a private foundation, they can choose whatever they want to put stuff towards. And, um, the guinea worm, is a, an interesting case because for the most part, it's it's kind of this really beautiful convergence of easy to eradicate, which sounds weird. We haven't eradicated it yet, so it's not really easy. But the thing is, it doesn't it does infect dogs, but not very well. So the, for the most part, it only infects humans. So it's much easier to control it. So like with Chagas disease, for example, it's also in wild animals, it's in domesticated animals. So tr you can't just eradicate it in humans, you have to also eradicate it in all the animals. So guinea worm is nice in that way. And it's also a very minor public health tool can be used to to keep people from getting guinea worm, which is just a really minor filter because there's like little crustaceans that live in the water that transmit the worm. So all you have to do is drink through basically like cheesecloth, like a straw with cheesecloth on it. And so once um, that public health uh, aspect is, is instituted, it, it moves fairly rapidly. So it's probably going to be eradicated next year. Okay. 
got two linked questions yeah. that fall under the heading of how do we protect ourselves? <laughs> the first part of it is how do we protect ourselves from horrible and schlongful sucking insects. Yeah. And then the second part is so like, you know, with mosquitoes, there's mosquito netting and off and stuff, so mm-hmm. we're for using bugs. And then the second one is so how do we keep ourselves from reading crap science articles? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so um deep <laughs> uh, the first one's easy deet um not not as dangerous as you would think a lot of people conflate deet with ddt they are not anywhere near the same thing and deet is fine um it's it doesn't even kill insects it just they just don't like the taste of it um and the second one is way more difficult and it's actually why I started my podcast. I post a lot on on my Facebook page. Like whenever I find articles that I'll I'll read an article that's about um, either vectors or a disease, and I have enough background that I can see if if even a part of it is this is garbage. And I just make sure not to post any of those. I've read it. I vetted it. I, it's legitimate science that I posted on there, but I, I don't know, honestly, because like if I, if I was to, to go to a social scientist and I'd be like, how do I make sure that I don't read crap articles about, you know, any number of things, gun violence, who knows? Um, like I, (laughs) it's, it's, it's so difficult. And Unfortunately, um, when it comes to especially insect news, definitely one thing to look for is the word entomologist. Mm-hmm. Um, if it if it is a disease that has anything to do with an insect, um, if they are actually interviewing an entomologist, uh, that's that's a big thing to look for. But you have plenty of, of um, agricultural entomologists that get interviewed for, it's like, oh, you know, you study insects, it must, must all be the same. And it's like something that eats potatoes and something that eats people. They're very different things. Um, I mean, <laughs> people are potatoes. Uh, but yeah, like, I mean, there's a date clustering the what? sorry, social science Yeah. April 29th oh yeah 30 something here let me get this off the no April 27th, sorry there's a lot of date clustering there yeah, this is right around when a little girl got bitten by a kissing bug in Delaware and instead of being like oh, kissing bugs live in Delaware they they were they were like, oh my god, immigrants are bringing these bugs in, and they're invading the north. And um, I mean, the little girl was tested; she's fine. She doesn't have Chagas disease. If she did, she would be treated and be fine. At the early stages, it's completely curable. Yeah. So posting anything about it has become like a political issue. Yeah. <laughs> One quick request before you go. The podcasters that make up the Agora Network are looking to get to know you better. It would be really awesome if you could fill out our survey. 
There's a link to it on the Tiny Vampires Facebook page, Twitter account, and in the show notes of this episode. It would be amazing if Tiny Vampires listeners would make a big showing and beat out all of those history podcast listeners. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 